Thanks to the worship team. What a wonderful morning to be together in the house of the Lord. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. And my sermon is also going to be about the Lord's Supper. So you'll be very clear of at least some aspects of the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to read for us from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 to 34. Now, I don't really need these glasses, but apparently it looks very impressive. (laughs) No, I need them. Sorry to tell you. Okay, the Lord's Supper. And this is Paul that wrote to the Corinthians. And he writes about a very completely different church than ours. You'll hear about it. And then he gives them very clear instructions about the Lord's Supper. And we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 11. And you can follow in your own Bible or you can follow up there. 1 Corinthians 11 from verse 17. Paul wrote, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. It's not talking about us, is it? For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, It is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord is an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. Now our text is actually from chapter 10, chapter 10 verse 16, which is the previous chapter before Paul actually wrote this. Chapter 10 verse 16. And it says this about the Lord's Supper, the cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. And he asked the question, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Another question. 
I have to admit that this is not um, particularly easy scriptures, but it's still something that we really have to deal with. And I don't know who of you know about the Book of Forms or the Green Book or the confessions that we adhere to as a Reformed Church. One of them is the called the Belgic Confession of Faith. And this is actually dealing in the Belgic, if you want to read more about it, go and read about it in that particular book. I'm not going to deal with it much. We're going to go straight to the Bible, mate. <laughs> okay. Often Christians wonder, what is the fundamental difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Of course, there are a number of important differences, such as in the Old Testament, is this promises, and in the New Testament, there's fulfillment. But perhaps one of the most important differences is this. In the New Testament, the saving work of Jesus Christ pervades all areas of life. In the Old Testament, there's great stress on holy days, holy people, holy places. The temple is the holy place in the holy city of Jerusalem. Things are set apart. The priests and the Levites are the holy people. And the feast days, such as the Passover, are the special holy, one of the special holy days in the New Testament. That has changed radically. Now all life is holy. All God's people are a royal priesthood. All of the time and every place is now sacred and under the Lordship of Christ. Yet, if there is still any one place that is particularly sacred in the New Testament, then I guess we would have to say that it's the Lord's Supper table. Because in a very real sense, it is the holy ground, where God and man have fellowship in a very special way. It is a special meeting place between Jesus Christ and his people. Today, we want to look at the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in terms of a meeting or an encounter in terms of fellowship. And we want to examine two questions about this encounter. The first one, how does Jesus Christ meet us here? Okay, he's the host at that table, but how is he present at that table? The second thing we want to consider is, with whom does the living Christ meet in this way for fellowship? Who ought to be there for that living encounter? The Lord's Supper is an encounter of the Christian with his Lord. A fellowship between Jesus Christ and his saved people. But it's no ordinary fellowship. It is something very special. The trouble is that when Christians try to describe what this fellowship exactly is, then there is a lot of disagreement among Christians of various backgrounds. I personally find it beautiful how our confession, the Belgic Confession, speaks of the way in which Christ come to us in the Lord's Supper. The article in the confession is extremely reserved and very charitable. It avoids some of the controversies that raged even to this day. It doesn't try to resolve the divisive differences between Lutherans, us, and the Catholics. I like the way it doesn't try to make mileage out of what divides Christians. Instead, it stresses the mysterious way Jesus' fellowship with us. 
that it is beyond our understanding, that it cannot be comprehended by us. One thing that scripture does make quite clear is that the Lord's Supper is a fellowship with the body of Christ. It presents the idea that it is a sharing of his body and blood. And we find it reflected in this article of our confession. And also in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16, which I've just read. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we're going to break a participation in the body of Christ? When the Apostle Paul writes and speaks here of participation in his body and his blood, then he uses a Greek word, koinonia, which means sharing or fellowship. So we have to do justice to that word and not play down what Paul's saying here. The wine is a participation in his blood and the bread is participation in his body. I'm afraid that this teaching is often watered down. Many read this as though Paul was saying that this wine represents his blood and that this bread represents his body. The upshot is that some Christians do not see the Lord's Supper as a special fellowship. In many churches, it's not seen as a real sharing in Christ. Instead, the Lord's Supper is reduced to just a kind of memorial meal. So the words of Jesus, this is my body, this is my blood, are effectively reduced to, this reminds you of my body, and this reminds you of my blood. So we must be very cautious here. Koinonia does not mean representation. It does not mean a reminder. It is actually sharing. We can agree that the way we have fellowship with Christ in the Lord's Supper is a great mystery. But we must never solve the mystery by playing down the real fellowship with Christ's body and blood. Nor by reducing the sacrament to just a bit of a memorial. I want to say two things about the way we have fellowship with Christ. Firstly, the encounter with Christ in the sacrament is not a physical encounter. It is not a physical kind of fellowship. There is a dilemma that we face at this point, isn't it? The dilemma that is also there in the article of our confession. On the one hand, we want to say that we have a very real sharing in his body and blood. And by that we mean that he his proper and natural body and blood. On the other hand, we also want to add that this is not a physical fellowship, at least not as though this was a participate, that this was a participating in him with our mouth. Now the Jews in Jesus' time had the same problem. Marika, tell us the story. Mind if I stand through sure, the camera? Yeah, sure. Yep. <laughs> it's tricky being the visuals operator and up here. <laughs> so one of the most memorable miracles that Jesus did during his ministry on earth was the day that he fed a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children with only five loaves of bread and two fish. The next day, this same crowd of people went looking for Jesus. 
and they finally found him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Teacher, how did you get here? And when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miracles. Don't worry so much about the food that perishes, that won't last. Instead, use your energy to go after the food that will last for eternal life, which the Son of Man can give you, because God the Father has given me his seal of approval. The crowd said, We also want to do the work of God. What should we do? Jesus replied, This is the only work from you, that you believe in the one that he has sent. And they said, show us a miracle and we'll believe in you. Yeah, what can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna in the desert. The scriptures say that Moses gave them bread from heaven. But Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it wasn't Moses that gave you the bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread of heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, yes, give us that bread every day. To which Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Thanks, Marika. We saw something... Am I on? Right. We saw something of this dilemma in this story. There Jesus speaks some very strong language. He said, I am the bread of life. A little later he puts it even more bluntly. Verse 55. My flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. That is strong language pointing to a real sharing in his body and blood. And yet we must avoid seeing this in purely physical terms. As you heard in the story, the Jews made that mistake as well. They misunderstood Jesus. They took offense and asked, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? We want to avoid that physical understanding of sharing in his body and blood. The Reformation always rejected the Roman Catholic idea that the bread and wine are miraculously transformed into the material body and blood of Christ. From our perspective, that is idolatrous. We also want to avoid any kind of crude understanding of the Lord's Supper. Some of the early pagan enemies of the church, for example, made that mistake. They accused Christians of cannibalism. So we want to take seriously the word of Scripture, that the Lord's Supper really is a sharing of Christ's body and blood. We don't want to water down this truth in any way, and yet... We have to understand this properly, so we have always said that this must not be taken in a physical way. Yes, Jesus did say, I am the bread of life, and we take that seriously. Yet we are careful not to take that too literally. After all, Jesus also said, 
I am the door, and I am the vine. So we don't play down the reality of actually sharing his, in his body and blood, but we don't take this in a purely physical sense either. How then can we take this seriously, yet avoid seeing it in physical terms? How can we honor the real presence of Christ in the sacrament without failing into er falling into error? We certainly don't want to end up saying that Jesus is present at the Lord's Supper in the same way he's present in any other part of the worship service. That would not be doing justice to the words of Paul. When Paul said, says that it is a sharing in his body and blood, then he certainly didn't mean that we were just fellowshipping in our imagination, in our thoughts. It is much more than that. The solution to this answer is in the answer of our, the Belgic Confession, that we participate in Christ's body and blood spiritually and by faith. The Feast of the Lord's Supper is a spiritual banquet. There's there Christ shares himself with us. There we enjoy the benefits of his suffering and death, of his body broken, his blood shed. Because in our participation, we have his wonderful guarantee that as surely as we are fed with bread and nourished with wine, so surely do we partake in his body and blood. So while we reject of all of all this being taken in physical terms, yet we want to affirm it in the strongest way that Jesus Christ is really present at the Lord's Supper table in a special way. This is a holy place, a meeting place of Christ Jesus and his people. The second question we want to look at is, who is the sacrament of fellowship intended for? Who are the people that are invited to the feast at which the Lord is present in a special way? That is an important question. Paul clearly shows that people can participate in this fellowship when they really shouldn't. In fact, he tells us that it's possible to eat and drink a judgment on oneself. And he spells out the result that some people in Corinth, Corinth were sick. Others have fallen asleep. In other words, they died all because of being at the Lord's table when they shouldn't have been there. So who should go to the Lord's Supper? That question has implications for the way the church exercises supervision over the sacrament. Some churches leave it wide open for anyone to go who wants to the Lord's Supper. And they say the Lord's Supper is for everyone. Other churches at least limit the Lord's Supper to those who love the Lord. And that's the science of this church. Still others restricts things so much that even their own members hardly dare go out of fear. So we have a problem about who should participate in this fellowship. Sometimes people don't go who really should go. At other times people go there who really shouldn't. For whom then is the Lord's Supper intended? Our confession tells us that too, right at the beginning. The Lord has instituted the sacrament to nourish and support those whom he has already regenerated and brought into his church. And then the Belgic Confession talks about such people having a twofold life. It is very clear teaching of scripture that the believer lives twice. I like this idea. 
He has a natural physical life from his first physical birth, a life that is common to all people. But the believer also has a spiritual or a heavenly life, a life he received by being born again of the Spirit of God, a life that not all people have, but only God's chosen people. The Christian lives twice. We have two lives. And then the point of the Lord's Supper is this. Just as that, as that earthly and physical life needs food and nourishment, so too that heavenly and spiritual life needs food and drink. And that living bread for our souls is Jesus Christ. So when we ask, who should we be invited to participate in this fellowship? Then the answer is all those who are twice born, who have faith in Christ. So the criteria for coming to the Lord's Supper is not, am I good enough? Of course you're not good enough. No one is. The criteria for attending the Lord's Supper is faith in Jesus Christ. But the sacraments are no help and there is no sharing in Christ if there is no faith in him. If I want to pour water into this bottle, there's obviously a small problem. You first have to open the bottle before you can pour water in. Otherwise, the bottle will stay empty. The water could run over the, the bottle and then pour away down the drain, and the bottle would still be as empty as it ever was. What needs to happen first is for the top to be taken off the bottle. And only when the mouth of the bottle is open does it begin to be filled. That's how it is with us. Only those who, whose hearts have been opened by the Spirit of Christ, only they receive the blessing that come from here having fellowship with the body and blood of Jesus Christ at his table. However, there is also an indication of those people that should not go. So we also put it negatively. Those who are warned not to come. The Belgic Confession speaks about Judas. Judas, you remember? He was with Jesus and he took part in the Lord's Supper. And there's Simon, the sorcerer. These men received the sacrament, but they had no fellowship with Christ. For them, there was no participating in his body and blood. In fact, he could go far further. Those men ate and drank judgment on themselves, not because they were sinful, but because their hearts were not right with God. There was no faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So, Scripture do sound a warning that the table of the Lord must remain holy ground. It is the meeting place of Christ and his people. When we think of these things, then we also see something else. That the church not only has the right, it even has the duty to guard the Lord's supper table from sinful participation, lest the whole church suffers. Some disagree and argue that it is the Lord's supper and not our table. That's true. But God has also made his church subject to its elders. So in the church, we teach that the eldership of the church has a solemn duty. They invite and encourage true believers into the fellowship with Christ. But they also are also to warn those who are unbelieving and unrepentant. That unless they bow before Jesus Christ, they have no place at this table. 
It is true, of course, that elders, our elders, can never test the heart of a man or woman. Only God can do that. So we can and must supervise the Lord's Supper, but only up to a point. We must also do it in recognizing that the final judgment rests with God. Perhaps we could put it this way. If this sacrament is a sacrament of fellowship, then the church has a responsibility. We need to ensure in love and as much as we are able that those who come are people of faith. People who already have fellowship with Christ through the gospel of his death. The Lord's Supper is then a very special holy place. Of course the Lord's Supper doesn't add anything to the gospel. It is simply a more vivid and tangible way in which the risen Christ comes to bless his people. But Jesus does but Jesus does meet with us individually and communally in a special way with every Lord's Supper. May the Lord then make our Lord's Supper celebrations rich and meaningful, times of participation, of fellowship in the benefits of his death and the resurrection. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, where are we going to meet you now in this holy place? I do pray that we will come in humbleness and really, really replenish our spiritual strength through the blood and through the body of Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.